Welcome to iPodcast Magic Missile, where we play games and talk geek. Broadcasting every week from the New River Valley in the beautiful mountains of Southwest Virginia, we bring you audio from some of the most exciting games, new and old. No actual wizard spells here, just actual play from great games. This is iPodcast Magic Missile. Again, it doesn't kill everyone. It's true. That, that is often, my phone does that automatically. That if you un, if you plug in headphones, even if the last time you were playing it without headphones, it automatically turns the volume down to like seventy five percent. My tablet does that, but not my phone. Curiously. Yeah. Although I've murdered myself with my phone on my old phone with my headphones before. What's uh, so? I'm kind of grateful it does that, even if it's purple ribbons. ribbons. Uh. Is that a prost- cancer thing? Royalty pro- awareness cancer. I think it's <laughs> prostate cancer. Oh, how handy. I'll probably get that. You live long enough. I won't. Problem. That's right, you live in a very dangerous line of work. I didn't think that... It greatly yeah. reduces your chances. Really? Yeah, because yeah. the tissue atrophy is pretty hard. They 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 take it out, though, because it's nervous. Really? Yeah. Really? I thought, yeah. They didn't, I thought they left it intact most of the time. Yeah, I've never heard of most cases taking it out. Uh, if they do the full thing, they usually do. Huh. Okay. There you go then. Yeah. The more you know. The more you know. Are you recording this? <laughs> <laughs> Guess what, listeners? Hello, this listeners. Has been, this has been prostate talk for the weekend. It's yourself checked. It's important. We make a lot of jokes here on iPodcast Magic Missile, but this one's serious. Cancer is no laughing matter. Speaking of things up your butt, um, um, you can get rid of hiccups that way. That's true. Anal yeah. sex by, can by having cure. a prostectomy. No, no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> by sticking a thing in your butt. By sticking a thing in your butt. It's it's that easy. I was gonna say, like that would only get rid of one case of the hiccups. <laughs> like after you've already had your prostate out, what are you gonna do the next you time you get, get no, hiccups? It, 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 you, you can, can get never it. get hiccups ever yeah. again. Oh, oh you remove your hiccup organ. Yeah. You see, it's the cause of the prostate. Nerves there, not the prostate. I was just reminded of. Things and butts. Well, at, at, at risk of, uh, I, I, I don't really want to know the answer, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. How big a thing is <laughs> about light bulb shaped? <laughs> From what I remember, all I know is, is, you ha- is that they st- it works by stimul- stimulating the area. So presumably, anything that would Tickle up like a long, skinny room. thing or a short, fat thing. Probably <laughs> both would work just fine. Okay. As long as it. Uh, I thought the longer the better. I would talk to Crack about this one. <laughs> oh, boy. Well then, I don't know. I, I, this I, is health talk with iPodcast Magic Missile. I'm Try it at home. I'm not convinced this isn't some kind of gay conspiracy. <laughs> this doesn't be They're a gay like, conspiracy. Maybe we'll just get everyone trying it, and then they'll see things our way. <laughs> this is this is actual funded research. I'm sure I could say that about some real dumb ideas. <laughs> this is true. Somewhere, someone filled out a grant proposal. I could see Please it as being like, okay, how much, how Steven, much, Stephen, we're almost at the end of our grant money and we haven't found any benefits of anal sex yet. <laughs> what are we gonna do? We have to publish something. <laughs> Welcome to science. <laughs> There's that is not getting on air. That's not how science works. 
That is absolutely how science works. <laughs> yeah, that was what I'm I was going to stick good. up for a fire bend here. I'm going to... Obviously, no you haven't played the chemistry game with Will. Um, Wait, what? What was it Compound called? It. Let's yeah, play the chemistry it. game. Drink this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't okay, like this drink game. This. <laughs> no, you, you remember Compounded. I, I just can't remember what the name that's of it was. That's true. I lived. What do I win? Another drink. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was really fun. This one is two colors. I, 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 we need to play that game again. That was a fun game. Okay. This character, holy crap. So it's, yeah. it's a board game that teaches science, but it also has a very, very small window for role-playing that got hooked into, grabbed, beaten up, and used to its fullest extent possible. By which I mean, by... I got hooked in, grabbed, beaten up, and used to the fullest extent possible. Pretty when much. your hiccups went away, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you need to keep it in. <laughs> this has been Health Doc, but I find that We're much more interesting than Dr. Ox. I'm looking, I'm looking forward wildly to the uh, forthcoming, ongoing, or uh, what's the word, recurring gag of, well, my hiccup's secured. <laughs> <laughs> next time on, next time I get hit bit real bad on the, in Dungeon World, I'm gonna, like 25 damage. I'm like, well, my hiccup's secured. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should, we should probably. Subject our listeners to something less painful than whatever this is we're doing right now. There we go. We're all cured too. I podcast magic muscle. Well, we should either talk about a thing or play a game. Well, I, I, my vote is for talk about a thing, but that's just because it'll make me uh, like less disruptive when I leave. I'm okay with talking about a thing. I like talking about things. Sure. No, okay. We have a topic. We want to talk about a thing about. You know, maybe, is there anything <coughs> game design uh, related? This, I mean, you know, because we've been working on game design. YouTube been working on a game design. I'm sure you guys have been designing a game in uh, <laughs> sufficiently loose <laughs> definitions of the words. Well, <laughs> we did talk about game design the last time you were here. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really should remember it's that good. But uh, so that's so that's that's a no then. I don't mind. It's just I think we've covered a lot of. Uh, we covered all the bases. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can think of some other really interesting. Um, and I'm also, oh God, I'm also gonna be in the giant cast talking about game design oh, this okay. week. <laughs> so. Well, maybe not then. <laughs> Same for us. Don't you skip all your talking points? <laughs> you, this is the problem, and they'll, they'll, they'll definitely hit air before we do. So. Um, and odds oh. are, if you're listening to us, you probably this. Here's a, here's a neat one. Um, it's a, a good, uh, a good question to which there is no good answer. Um, the thing we were talking about earlier about, uh, the the wider implications of the thing we were talking about earlier, weaponized concession. This this applies more to competitive games than to more freeform role playing type games, which I know is you know more than my podcast magic missile shtick. But uh, the line between what the line between the expected behavior of players um, and what the players can actually do to impact the game. <clears throat> the example is that uh, today, um, Magic the Gathering Conspiracy came out, and it's a magic set that's promoted for play with a um, in multiplayer games. Normally, Magic is one-on-one, but the rules are designed to receive up to a nigh-infinite number of players all in the same game. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, in particular, is designed to be played with three- to five-player free-for-alls, where it's an elimination uh Kind of game where, like, you know, the, the player who wins is the la- is the player who doesn't die mm-hmm. after he, after all the other players have been killed, and uh, 
one of the rules of Magic is that you can concede the game at any time. And there's rules for, in a multiplayer game, you know, in a two-on-one, or in a one-on-one, concession makes the game over. But in a game where there are more than one player will persist beyond your concession, there's rules for how to unravel you, the player, and the impact you were having on that game, and how to, like, smoothly let the game down from the position you were in. And there's a couple of unfortunate implications to it, which gives rise to a phenomenon that I like to refer to as weaponized concession. Basically, if you're going to lose the game anyway, a split second before you lose, because Magic has a lot of very minute timing slots, you can concede before you would lose in order to change the impact of your death on other people. So king-making, basically. King-making, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's... Sometimes people will do, th- do this out of spite. Um, sometimes people... I- I've even been in a situation where someone demanded someone else concede in a, in, in, a, in a weaponized manner because it was unfair, for some reason I can't recall, to... Be... Was, that, was that pumpkin? I do not recall. I actually do not recall at all. Anyway, point is, with this new set coming out, I was, I was we're, we're doing a tournament for it today. In fact, as we speak, that is happening at Fun and Games. And I went and talked to my manager and said to him, you know, do we want to do something about the problem of weaponized concession? Because we're giving out prize for this. You know, there are stakes. It's not just like an EDH game where the stakes are purely emotional. There's mm-hmm. actual money on the line. Yeah, there's money on the line. Significant amounts of money. <clears throat> so if somebody loses a game because the per- the player that they kill... Like, you know, if there's four players, right? And player four kills player three, and player three is a good sport about it. <laughs> and then player uh, one kills player two, who is not a good sport about it. And then player one loses to player four in the in the final reckoning. Uh, player one is going to feel like you know they did not deserve that, right. especially because people are assigned to each other randomly. It's not like an EDH where you get to pick your opponents. Like, it's, does it have like an assassin aspect? No, well, okay. Here's a, here's a, here's a good example. In Magic, a um, there's a creature ability called Life Link, which is when this creature deals damage, you gain that much life. You, the controller of the creature. So if you swung in with a creature for the for the death blow against someone, it would kill that player and cause you to gain life. Mm-hmm. Unless that player concedes right before creatures deal damage, in which case they're, they're still just as dead, and your creature is still just as attacked. You've paid all the costs for attacking, so the level of commitment on the part of the attacking player is not changed in any way. They just were denied that additional benefit of the life gain because mm-hmm. that player conceded out. And I was concerned that we might see, you know, anytime you run a tournament in a store, you're going to have, I'm going to politically say, a, a mosaic of different player personality types. A beautiful rainbow. <laughs> different kinds <laughs> of shits that will go from, to your tournaments. All the way, all the way from, from human beings to pumpkins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, I was concerned about the potential negative play experience of a customer at the hands of someone using weaponized concession in this way. And we've, and the example I gave is a simple one, but it gets much more extreme. I believe you. Uh, so, I, I'd like to, I think this is an interesting discussion. I'd like to widen it out a little bit. So there's a bunch of right. different, there's a bunch of different, like, directions we could go here. One is metagaming. Because fa- effectively, this is a form of metagaming, right? It's a form of using your knowledge of the rules to affect the game in a way that it wasn't designed to be affected in. Basically, the second is rules abuse. We've already had a little bit of a discussion about this with the uh, I want to say Defiler because that's what they were in StarCraft. But the uh, the 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 line of 
Yeah, the the, the, oh, the common lines. The common oh, line of Gaunts, yeah. Gaunts, yeah. Um in our in our Warhammer discussion. But there's the there are the, the weird corner case builds and things of that, that nature where people sort of abuse synergies and weird you know things. The fact that you can concede mid stack basically and then the stack goes away because targets aren't able anymore, that sort of thing. Um there's also a question about uh the nature of spite and what place it has, if any, because I have many customers who will argue to you that it is incredibly reasonable for a player to concede to spite the player who killed them, because after all, that player killed them. And someone, and and, and that, I would argue that's an inch, that's a. I don't think that's. I mean, I have a problem with that. that I've heard that, that argument. Argument. I've I've heard it because said to me. Will you should concede? No, <laughs> no, I shouldn't. That's that's not fair to my opponent. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, part of it too. Like, so that's the other thing too. Is that like the ability to separate the game. And the social contract of the game, which says this is a competitive game and we're all trying to kill each other. That from, the social contract bit was the was the wider debate that I was going. Well, that's, that I was that's, to that's go the into. thing. That, that's an interesting debate. Uh, is actually very relevant to role playing games because most role playing games do have a social contract that is uh, not explicit. Like there are usually a, <coughs> a bunch of things that everybody takes as given. Uh, in, say, Pathfinder Society, it's made explicit because it has to be because you have so many people. But most home games, you know, you don't have, you know, everyone assumes that the social contract is don't be a dick, don't cheat, blah, 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 blah. But what does that even mean? What, right. what is cheating? Right. And, and not what everyone... What is being a dick? Perfect examples of the alignment debate. We have, um, I, I've had several games where players are different alignments, um, but it heads... And, you know, the lawful versus chaotic, um, just absolutely, um, it, it can bring, bring a game to a standstill if the players don't, aren't in agreement as to what these social contracts are of who should take precedence in what scenario, that sort of thing. I, I played a game a couple, a couple years ago, um, with a guy who, a great friend, but he, um, he played chaotic good characters almost exclusively, because that's what he personally believed, and he played super min-max characters that were able to enforce his thoughts to the point of no one else has mattered. So whenever anyone chaotic in, or, or, or chaotic or or or, or uh, neutral or evil or or even lawful in the group tried to do anything that didn't match his paradigm, he would forcibly, and because he had the higher numbers, could make them within the bounds of the game, basically bend to his alignment. Using uh, uh, diplomacy or something like that. Um, no, usually physical might. Interesting. So he would threaten to beat up those characters. Or oh no, kill no, he them. just would. Um, so I. I <laughs> Somebody didn't use the same page tool. No, this is exactly what I'm talking about. There's a social contract that different people have different levels of it. See, to him, he is playing his alignment, and that is part of the social contract, and that is all he has to worry about, and it's fine. It's oh, just this gets into stance um, as well because he's playing entirely in actor stance. Precisely, where there's um, no separation. Well, just to explain that. Well, there's there's no separation between what he as a player does and what his character would do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the, the only real difference is he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have a huge animosity towards the player, but he does towards the character. If that makes sense. It's, but that, but yeah. he doesn't. But in his own actions, he doesn't distinguish the two. So the the, the flip side of that philosophy is, um, the social contract is we've all agreed that we're a party of adventurers who may disagree, but for one reason or another, are adventuring together. Exactly. And it's only fun if we all adventure as a party, and therefore, even if it's quote unquote not what my character would do, I would come up with a reason that he would still do it. Exactly. Because exactly. it will make the game more fun. Precisely. Like uh to to further describe what I was telling you, Will, um 
I played uh, in a campaign. I played with him. I played a necromancer, and she was a cleric and a, had a horde of, art, of zombies at her skeletons, technically at her disposal, and so was not a physical fighter at all because I didn't need to be. I had a horde of I, had, you know, thirty cr worth of monsters to throw at people. You delegate. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this character, the, he, he, he was playing a monk fighter thingy at the time. He always played anime, anime weeaboo characters as well. It was hilarious. Anyway, he, um, he, he would do things like, like, <coughs> forcibly, like, grab and pick up my character with, like, his 27 strength, and be like, no, you're not doing that. And there was literally nothing I could do, because his saves were insane, because he min-maxed out the ass, so I couldn't even spell, cast spells at him or nothing. There was literally nothing I could do, and it was just so disempowering, and just, like you're saying, it just ruined the social contract of, hey, we're a party, who cares what our alignment are, don't step on each other's toes so much. It, seem- it seems very interesting that the argument was, uh, uh, the eventual thing was, in my social contract, me being that person, mm-hmm. it is acceptable for me to say, okay, if we can't agree on something, our character's ability to kill each other will decide what we do. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, Isn't this the same guy who uh, basically told you out of character that at the end of the campaign he was going to kill you? Uh, it is exactly the same guy. And uh, it was the reason I went on my giant fireball jihad because and killed myself. In character. Uh, killed myself. Oh, okay. Because I was... Don't worry. I got better. Yeah. The out of context at the end of the campaign I'm going to kill you that I, I assumed you're meaning to mean in IRL. Oh, like, no, no, no. Your no, life no. is worth enough to me that I'm going to let this campaign finish. No, no, the conversation went as thus. It was, hey, you know that after we go save the world, my character has every intention of killing your character, right? Oh, okay. And like, you know, no hard feelings, right? And I'm like, of course there's hard feelings! <laughs> of course there is! You're being an asshole. Well, You're the question, being an asshole for no reason. This, so this actually, I think this, to redirect this to Blake... This is the same thing. Like, his character within the rules had every right to pick you up by the head and move you around. Yeah. There's nothing uh, I can do about it, But, actually. like, Blake, as the person running a tournament, what is the GM's obligation in terms of enforcing the social contract? Or, or you see what I'm saying? But Pathfinder Society does this by saying no PvP. Period. Uh, which yeah. doesn't well, really work. It. Uh, not even really with accepting it. You can do it. If you accept the PvP, you can do it. Um, but that's almost always different I'm in from the area of a fireball really? or something. I asked Adam that question on point. Really? And he said no. Interesting. Uh, that said, there have been certain people who try to get around it by having their characters be insane or, uh, and like have, like, in character reasons for why if someone was there, they could accidentally do a burning hands and hit you along the way. Oh, God. Uh, friendly, purposeful friendly fire. Yeah. Uh, Purposely um, friendly fire when the other person isn't expecting it. But, it can be hilarious. <laughs> but, and then that's that's not a very legalistic uh, approach to it too. But because I think, but I mean, to be honest, in these games, it's not about laws and rules. It's about it's about judgment calls. <coughs> well, actually, I, I would like to bring up the question of legalism because you know, bring back to the the original example. I think it it, it deepens or it, it broadens the, or it continues the discussion. To mention that, so I was like, okay, I think we maybe need to do something about this weaponized concession thing. 
it's obviously perfectly legal within the rules, and many players will play with the expectation of that, but I, my concern was that the players playing with the expectation of that wouldn't have their feelings hurt by not being able to do it as much as players playing without that expectation would have their feelings dismayed, hurt when yeah. it came out of nowhere at them. <laughs> so I go to my manager and say, hey, do we want to do something about this? And he is practically offended at why the suggestion. Why do you think that is? Well, there's a couple reasons why that is. I mean, th- this is a conversation that he and I have a lot. We have different perspectives, particularly on magic, but on, like, life at large, that causes me to tend to take a attitude of protecting the have-nots, mm-hmm. whereas he wants to reward the haves. And you're the libertarian. <laughs> well, like, I am the intense. opposite of whoever I am around. Fair enough. I seem like a crazy, gun-loving, you know... You don't? Anarchist libertarian in the presence of y'all, <laughs> pants on head. Uh, I think liberals. of hey, I think of hey. you as the one. She also has no pants. <laughs> I think of you as like the the one person I actually grant devil's advocate position to because I know you won't abuse it. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, thank you. You that's are the a, devil's advocate person, and I consider you one of the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to the the topic at hand, so so you were talking with Ryland and right, anyway, with Pumpkin, and uh, yeah, his immediate response was that that was not a thing we should do, um, and like I said, it was borderline offend, uh, offended by the suggestion. Well, there's also the philosophy of it's not a problem until it's a problem, but the problem is that if you have to set rules for a tournament, you can't change them in the middle. Exactly, and he actually did. He he did uh, his defense because he's a very smart guy. I wouldn't have hired him if he wasn't. He knew that. The only defense that he could possibly mount that would have traction on me was don't break, don't fix it if it ain't broke. Like, wait, let's wait and see if it's a problem, and then if it is, we'll do something about it. And I was like, but then if it's a problem, what are we going to do about it? It's the, it's the type of problem that if it came up, you know, we could easily have a player raise their hand and say, judge, come here, and walk over there and be like, oh, well, it's a problem now, so here's the rule. Player who was about to break that rule, you may retroactively take back your desire to break that rule. And Ryland was, like, mortified at the suggestion, and not unreasonably so. He was like, no, 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 no. if it's a problem, we'll fix it next tournament. And I'm like, well, that doesn't do much for today now, does it? You could even lose people from wanting to play Conspiracy that way. That's the problem. That's one of the reasons I was concerned about that. I I love uh, the multiplayer games, but if we were playing it for actual money... that sort of behavior would, uh... Um, I honestly don't see why it's so bad. Like, I mean, I see why it's a little problematic, but if I come to a thing, especially a tournament with a lot of different people and I'm going to be playing against random matchups, I'm going to expect some de- some assholes. And to me, that's just asshole behavior, and it's just part of a tournament. As, as far as it goes, imagine a three-player 40k game where someone who is losing is holding an objective and... If they finish the game, you would win because you've got the other. You've got yeah, enough more objectives. I, I understand what it is. I just, to me, it's just part of the game. It's, well, it's he's just trying something. to illustrate, illustrate the emotional impact to you. Yeah. If if by me walking up and leaving, the other person who's playing suddenly has access to a whole bunch more stuff they wouldn't have had otherwise. My being there would have. If I stuck the other person does too. Hmm? The other person, both people now do. No, not as yeah. well, but spatially they didn't because, like, of of that. But see, I, I I played. I know what you're talking about. I played like risk games and that sort of thing and monopoly games with with 
multiple multiplayers, and people get, and people get out. You know, they quit or they just die. And usually one player ends up with other stuff. It's just part of the multiplayer thing. Can I jump on a soapbox for a second? Glad. This is the thing that I always, uh, I'm always lecturing people about. I feel like you can pretty much put up with anything, and this doesn't apply to games, this applies to life. You can pretty much put up with anything if you are sufficiently emotionally prepared for it. But that is the key. How emotionally prepared are you for a thing to happen? In games, every time I see someone get real upset about something in a game, it's not necessarily, I mean, like, there's such a thing as bad sportsmanship, but I, I, I note that the trigger event, at least in my perception, could basically always be described as insufficient emotional preparation for an event. Like, every time I lose my patience in a game, I came into, uh, I played a magic tournament the other, uh, like a couple weeks ago, where I came into it like, okay, this is me. I need to, it's time for me to grow up and, and recognize a thing about myself. I am bad at this game. I build bad decks. I know things are not going to go so well for me tonight. And most of the games I was in were were going fine. And I sat down and played against this one guy who was... I was like, as soon as I was paired with this guy, I was unhappy about it because I really don't like him. And I could not keep my shit together. I was unable to emotionally prepare myself for what was going to happen in that game. You just get crushified in an unpleasant fashion. He was playing Mono Blue Control. So you didn't get to play. Yeah. <laughs> But but I, I've noticed that when people come into a game, that, that social contract emotionally prepares you for certain outcomes. Exactly. Anyone who's exactly. Got, everyone who's dealt with weaponized concession before will frequently attack in with a with an expectation. The problem is when that person you know attacks expecting the life gain from their lifelink, and they've completely forgotten the fact that the person they're attacking can concede, and then suddenly well, a they thing that they know. had taken for granted, yeah, a thing that they don't know or had forgotten, yeah. it's actually the same. Yeah, it is the same. A suddenly a, a benefit they had taken for granted, an asset in the game, as they were subconsciously plotting their path to victory out in their head, is pulled right out from under them at the last possible second. That is a reasonable thing to have said that. So, if I understand correctly, you can just, if you think you're about to lose, just pull out with... Like when you're playing an online fighting game on Xbox and you... Disconnect. Disconnect before you lose, mm -hmm. so your ranking always stays at 100%. Kind of... uh, it's similar to that, I mean, like... but you kick someone else in the nuts instead. <laughs> yeah, instead of helping you, it hurts someone else. It's doing it specifically but I mean, like, someone else. But that, yes. that kind of thing yeah. where you can just... It's just to make it so that they don't win. Yeah. yeah. Okay, just just checking to make yeah. sure. Right. Yeah, this this that actually... is literally basically exactly that. Yeah, this is actually... This is actually... I really think that a lot of this comes down to... There's a set of rules, and there's a sort of set of... And some of the rules are explicit and designed, and some of the rules are sort of accidents, and rule synergies are accidents. The concession rule is there because players have the right to get up and leave the table at yeah. any time, and they decide when they were writing the rules, they were like, well, we need to have a way of handling that. Yeah, it, right? it's, 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 it's an exception handling and situation poor, from a programming standpoint. And for the record, the concession rules in Magic are not poorly written. No. They did everything they could to make that impact on the game as small as possible. But it would have been going too far for them to make some kind of phantom player that sits around until the end of the turn getting beat up on that player's behalf. Like, there was just... It, logistically, that would be impossible. So they basically worked the only way they could. And then... <clears throat> and and the, the idea is, 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 is understanding that this is, this is a rule to handle an exceptional case that's sort of in the meta itself. And to treat that as part of the game that you can use to win or cause someone else to lose... 
at what point is doing things within the rules acceptable just because it's within the rules? And at what point is, um, you know, and what point do the rules end and the meta begins and you have to say, you know, for all those lovely games that are not designed the way like Apocalypse World is designed, where the meta is designed to align with the, the, game, the desired gameplay, many games it's not. D&D it's not. You know, in some of these competitive games it's not. So how do you, where do you draw the line of what's, I guess, sportsman-like play? And as somebody who's running a game, where do you draw the line in terms of what you're going to allow your people to do? It's hard to tell, too, because sometimes you can just think you're on the same page. When Blake and I were uh, working on the Warhammer campaign rules, we came across what you could do in a Rubicon. And Blake was like, we should put in something that says you can't say that you rape someone. And I'm like, what a horrible thing to even think someone would do. We have to put it in. <laughs> <laughs> he was a little mad at me for... I was bringing it up. I was mad that you shattered my illusion of a happier world <laughs> with cruel reality that there are people out there who may join our group and sully it with just some something that's just not part of the Warhammer fiction. It's a different thing because, you know, I am deeply harmed and offended by that for Warhammer, but it's not the same for like another kind of game like Apocalypse World. Because when you pick up a game, there are certain expectations of that game. Yeah. And there are certain social contracts. And I, I think that comes down to what game it is, too, not just the group. So, if you're the GM in a situation like Elle was in, where one of the players is saying, well, I'm within my rights, my character was within his rights, to do this thing... <gasps> I wasn't DMing. Uh, no. That's, but if, that was if, point. if we oh, were the DM oh, in your game. Right, yeah, so what is the correct response to what is the correct response to that? What is the correct response to players can use this meta rule basically to exploit and punish other players well, in the meta? Well like Ryland said, I thought to you know, the the argument let's not fix it until it's broken does carry a lot of weight with me. The libertarian in me knows that any move you make in fact, the magic player in me, for that matter, knows that <laughs> any move you make will definitely cost you. Co chances of a cost being paid are 100%. Chances of a benefit being gained are less than 100%. Therefore, action is always wrong. <laughs> and we are simply prioritizing the least wrong action. If you weren't running a tournament, if you were just playing, having people come to the store and play it with rules for fun, would you have approached it differently? If the tournament was just maybe just for bragging rights or something, it's a that's a good question. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, in, in, when it comes, you know, we do EDH all the time yeah. in the store, which is a multiplayer magic format that has the exact same problem. And uh, generally speaking, the our 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 EDH policy is extremely uh, anarchic, which is to just let the ecosystem develop naturally. And uh, you know, it's actually worked pretty. I feel pretty successful for us, and that players of like. Uh, types have pooled together. We have a table, um, you're, this is gonna be great. You can just pumpkin the whole thing. We call it the pumpkin table. We have three people named pumpkin to play EDH. <laughs> you can just say hilarious. pumpkin. You're gonna have to pumpkin it a lot of times. You, you can just, just say change, pumpkin. Change pumpkin to pumpkin. And then, like, go back and edit all the old ones and do that oh. too. And then you don't have to do anything this time. <laughs> Let's work. We have three players at this table. We have three players named Pumpkin who they all have the same name, is my point. They have the same pumpkin. And no one, no one who has played more than one or two games with them will play with any of them anymore. So they just play with each other. And it all works out. Uh, meanwhile, you've got uh, a handful of players who, like, 
are at the opposite extreme where they are very selective about who they will play with. They're like, oh, I will only, you know, like you get one shot before you get on my no list, right? The, the, this other group, you know, these guys had to screw up a lot of times before people kind of became, and they all have a different thing wrong with them. We all have different stuff wrong with us. You know, <laughs> I brought this example up earlier about weaponized concession. It goes a step further. At least one of the things about that is that players can always make the arguments like, well, you know, the player is going to lose anyway. Like, it's not like a big change in in the in the events has, has actually occurred here. And maybe you were wrong for expecting someone to stay in the game just to die. Uh, our roommate will, if he is sufficiently unhappy with someone in an EDH game, concede when he is in no danger. He will concede when he is in the lead. In fact, he will make a long-term strategy to establish a lead, draw players into a dependence on his existence, and then cut his own head off to spite them at the most apocalyptic moment. (laughs) Because Conrad is an amazing human being, and I don't think that... I, I I believe in my heart of hearts that he would never do that to anyone who didn't deserve it. Well, we were all suckling on that teat. He hears... Everyone, <laughs> just some people more. <laughs> but that's a beautiful way. To that is a beautiful person. thing to do. That's like <clears throat> Japanese rope bondage. So one of the things I was wondering. Thank you for that analogy. <laughs> nice analogy. A beautiful way to hurt a person. Oh yes. <laughs> so one of the things I was wonderful wondering, analogy. <laughs> so what happens in the tournament if some player is about to get killed and they say, "Wait, I am planning to concede." As a weaponized attack against you, person who is attacking me, unless you give me one of your packs as prize. Ooh. I was hoping the story was going to end with, so maybe you better attack someone else because attacking me is tactically unsound. No, no. That's a thing that people should say. Right. That That's a thing in that universe. What happens when someone steps out and says, give me a bribe? Yeah. We don't, we don't, we certainly don't have a condition for that. I would imagine that players colluding in order to win would be against the rules. There is a general rule on bribery. Yeah. Um, but it's a somewhat different situation. It would fall under bribery and extortion, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but it's interesting because of the fact that the player was going to lose anyway, you know. It's certainly a situation where you couldn't bribe or extort someone in a one-on-one, which is most of the situation. But this is kind of the problem. <laughs> This is this is what happens with multiplayer. It's it's great. It's uh, it's like the problem of government. <laughs> Two people can pretty much solve any problem between them. But you throw a third person in the mix, and suddenly you have a three dimensional problem. <laughs> and that's just beyond our cognitive capacity to solve all the time. That was my nightmare scenario for the weaponized concession. That was the first thing I thought. Well, well people are going to demand things. Then I demand you forgive me for bringing the rake thing up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you did. Now, my, my take on it, you know, being somebody who runs role-playing games is always, it's always the spirit of the law. It's always, why are you being a dick? Yeah, of course you could do that, and I could throw you out the window. I've told the story before. You, yeah, you were within your rights to do that mechanically, but I could also just make you leave. Yeah. Like, you're a giant jerk. Like, I would. My favorite approach for that is, in the, you know, few times I've DM, because I haven't really done it much recently, but, Long time ago, I had um, D and D party that kept on doing really, really, really horrible things within the fiction to you know NPC characters, and we had a couple of, of problem guys. And the consistent solution was: person gets into battle, person is doing a thing, and you know in the lore, whatever for whatever reason, 
their power is dependent on, you know, some god or something in our story, someone they've made up, and magically they lose their power in the middle of a thing because their god is displeased with them because they've acted evil when they're a, you know, they've done something terrible. And so there was a, that was a way of doing it of, yes, you have the right to do that, but I have the right to do this as the person controlling this world. But what what happens when it doesn't follow? What happens when one player abuses another just out of spite in character because it's a thing they can do mechanically? Like what so, happened to hell? Yeah. Yeah. And his monk you is have not... rocks fall on them. <laughs> you... Honestly, as a DM, I'm not sure exactly how I handle that situation. Um, you well, okay. I, I, there, there's, there's, there's two things... Two possible directions I could take this. One, I would have talked to the player on the receiving end, i.e. the person, me, you know, whoever that was, and asked them if they were okay with it. I have run for a party before. My follow-up game had two players. They were uh, roommates in real life. They were good friends. And so, in character, they were very spiteful towards each other, and they were complete assholes to each other. But they were having fun. But they were having fun doing it. And first thing I would do is make sure that that wasn't the case. If it wasn't immediately apparent. You're right. I you mean, you have to, it's not a problem unless it's a problem, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, there you um, go. <laughs> the other thing I would have done in, in that, in my particular case, uh, where one character w- was worshipped a deity, specifically an evil deity of undead, would have given that character extra power specifically against that other character. Yeah. Against no one else, against only that character in order to defend themselves and make it a fair fight. Um, and see if that solved the issue. I sort of feel like, so, oh, Yanni, go ahead, please. Um, so, speaking of that, you know, there's also the whole chaos versus law we had in the Dragon's Demand. Um, we had two lawful characters and two chaotic characters. Mm-hmm. And our mission that we had accepted, uh, we, we had a contract and everything, was to go and catalog this stuff in a house. And the two chaotic characters wanted to make off with some of the stuff. And the lawful... Some of the stuff that was found in a cave several miles out that would have been very useful because we were going to have to fight a dragon later. I won't deny that the stuff would have been <laughs> useful, but it was in this guy's cave, this, no. this wizard's cave. It was technically just a cave. You didn't have his name on it. Let her tell the story. <laughs> well, she she was there. This is this is us. It sounds like she was the villain of your story. Well, she was one of the villains. And hey, I, no, you're the villain. No, <laughs> I'm freaking forced to play lawful because it's a monk. I don't have a choice. I, I normally play chaotic characters, dear. Um, Thanks, D&D, for dra- <laughs> mixing your chocolate into the peanut butter. Uh, but, I mean, A, the map was clearly labeled Punkley's Cave, which is meta-knowledge, and so probably shouldn't have entered into it, except that we were using his keys to unlock his chests, <laughs> uh, which might be a clue that this was his stuff. And it had his journal! It could just be pareidolia. Those are rock formations. For, for the record, the keys were amulety symbol thingies that we found on birds in cages. They might no, be no, no agnostic no. dungeon specific keys. No, no, these these were these were Hunkley's keys. The, the, the amulet key was different. Yeah, and I'm sure mm, every Jesus on toast is real. Mm-hmm. Regardless, we had two lawful characters and two neutral characters, and we couldn't come to a good agreement on there. And because one of the books in Hunkley's chests was very important that it get given back to the people. Our DM couldn't just be like, oh, well, they didn't mention in the contract that this stuff had to go back because he really needed the book to go back for plot to happen because this is a module. Right. 
Um, so he was sort of hogtied from even jumping in and like saying, okay, guys, we need to come to some sort of solution or, you know, lawful guys, suck it up or lawful guys, here's a loophole. You know, it was. Well, to me, um, I, I, I play almost exclusively chaotic characters. Um, and to me, there is a social agreement that there will be concessions on both sides. That you can't play a perfectly lawful character just as you can't play a perfectly chaotic character. You know, in, in a mixed party, obviously. Um, because then one side is filling the fun for the other. You you have to have some, well, I'm the paladin, and I'm just going to go leave the room for arbitrary reasons for a little bit. I'll be back later, guys. Well, Like, there has to be a little bit of that. Well, on, in both directions. Except that... that- that wasn't the case here. You you guys wanted concessions from us without giving anything to us. Um, the earlier when you stole the books, I totally should have in character followed you around because that's one of my big motivations is watching you do cool shit. Okay, you know what? What we ended up doing was what chaotic players always do in this situation, and just have their own separate adventure aside from the lawful characters where they go and Which do is things. Also in violation of the social contract, right? Well, exactly. It, it's it's. Both sides should just make concessions. The chaotic should just abide by the law about 90% of the time. The other 10%, the law should just turn... The lawful should just avert their gaze. I don't think that's fair, though. Like, I don't like the alignment system in d You're getting 90% of it. What's not fair about that? You as the lawful character. I, to be honest with you, it seems like these issues should be addressed at character creation and party formation mm-hmm. rather than... So, th- this should be explicit in the social contract. Like, you guys are a party. How? And Why? you guys, that, that's, I always do that, actually. When I create a party, I'm always, or when I start a game and, like, my players show up, yeah. Okay. And the lawfulness can't, the lawful response of, like, you know, I'm in the other room can't just be done through meta knowledge. Just like, oh, we just carve out a situation where it so happens that I leave for doing this thing, and then the chaotic people do that. Well, it can be, but that does require, uh, meta knowledge and or discussing it out of character, uh. And I've never which, had a problem with. Which, in, some games, like most indie games, that is actually sort of implicitly put into the game. You're like, okay, let's sit here and... But it takes out too much. Right. Um, and, you know, I don't know, D&D and a lot of other traditional games have a long-standing opposition to using meta-knowledge. Uh, yeah. Well, it's and, because that was back when the um, the two stances that anyone really understood were actor stance and pawn stance. So... Right, and, and so the only time if you you were using meta knowledge, you were actually going down a level, and so we, most people were happy to get all the way up to the point where they could do actor stance. Well, I, I you know what I mean. Yeah, I understand that most of the gaming groups I played D and D in were not traditional atmospheres. You know, I'm just curious as to how that usually because that was how we always we always solved it by having if you had someone who could not like who was who would not be able to um, character wise ever even allow just, like, I don't know what you do. Like, you would just... Some situation would occur uh, that was... Because the player out. wants to see the cool thing happen, but, but their, their character, character would doesn't. not allow right. it. So, but there was a lot of metagaming in our... You know, there was... It was very much loose in narrative. So. And I think I think that's what we should have done there, is rather than just arguing about what our characters would do... Talk about what you actually see in the game. We should have gone out of character and said, well, look, how can we make this so that everyone's still 
feels like they're playing the character the way their character has to be, but also has fun. Um, because most of the discussion we had was either actually in character or this is what my character thinks. Um, we never got there because the chaotic people wanted to steal the stuff and the lawful people didn't. It's really and easy to get stuck down in that level, too. But we've drifted a little, too. Mm-hmm. So I think I just sort of maybe want to try to bring it back up one more time to when does doing a th- when is doing a thing not acceptable? When is doing a thing that... When it does... ruins the fun of another player. There you go. I think it's as simple as that. If everyone, even if your character's getting fucked in the ass, not necessarily literally, um, although it could be. Um, <laughs> what an interesting statistic. <laughs> <laughs> it does create the hiccups. Um, but uh, like seriously, even, even if your character's just getting absolutely boned, if you're having fun and you're enjoying it and everyone else is, then by all means. At the point where you're not, where you're not enjoying it anymore, like, like with my character, with the, the necromancer, I wasn't enjoying that. Like, no. cause he, no. like, I could not play the character because anything I tried to do, even though, like, she was technically chaotic evil because I had to be evil to be a necromancer, but I played her a very mild chaotic evil. Like, she was, it was very directional. It was very, you in particular pissed me off. I'm gonna be chaotic evil after you. It, it was not a widespread thing. Like, I, I tried to be as... as so you put actual my, chaotic evil and not chaotic stupid. Yes. Yeah. But but my, my, my point was, I was trying intentionally to be as much of a team player as possible. I never went against the party. I tried to not be too... Like, like, like the concessions we were talking about earlier, I, I tried to give the party as much of those. And despite that, this guy just would not relent. And, um, and that was not fun. No. It's also interesting because uh, there are different settings for when a player is not having fun, it's breaking the social contract, because that works extremely well for role-playing games. And in a role-playing game, you can say, okay, hold up, guys. We need to talk about this. But in a competitive game, like we were having uh, the issue earlier, it's it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, some people can't stand losing, and that's not a particularly good reason for them to say, whoa, 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 you're beating me too hard. But on the other hand, you know, I was talking to... Pumpkin. ...who is a very good War Machine player, and I was saying to him, would you mind stepping back your game a little bit? Because I'm not enjoying uh, getting the crap kicked out of me by you as much as you are. And I think that is reasonable. Maybe it's a question of whether it's a tournament thing or something like mm-hmm. that. If there's stakes. Yeah. See, yeah. I don't think it's reasonable to ask someone to tone down a game in a, in a competitive game. I, I think it's reasonable it is, for the person to tone it down, not for, not for the way around. At least not in the middle of the game. But if is, that makes sense. is is War Machine or 40k necessarily only a competitive game? I'm saying in a competitive setting. Like, mm-hmm. like, but, but it, I think he was talking about just a, just a, a random uh, pickup game exhibition game. Yeah, but that still has elements of, of it's still competitive. It's maybe not tournament competitive, but it's still competitive. You're playing to win. You're playing to enjoy the process, but you're also playing to win. I wasn't playing to win. I was <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, I mean that, that that actually does ask the question of like, just because the game is competitive, is the fun that people are getting out of it winning, or is the fun like Magic? Magic is a competitive game, and you could say that well, you know, it's perfectly fine for anybody to bring any deck they want, but the Relentless Rats deck is not fun. The blue control deck that 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 makes your opponent not be able to play any cards. Is not fun for them, and probably not even really that fun for you. Other than if all you get is the pleasure of winning. I think some people the the appeal of the control deck is literal actual control over another person. Yeah, that that is a. Which says the thing about a person. It's the same thing as go, yeah, like going into Guns of Icarus. 
being the troll who, you know, trolling in the thing where oh. you have two other people with you. And Wait, what is this? In Guns of Icarus, you, <laughs> you can play a captain. And in this game, you have a crew. I have seen, thankfully only once, a troll captain who took control of the ship and purposefully banged it into every building they could find while missing every opportunity to engage in the actual game because they had a captive audience of three people who were stuck on their ship unless they quit out of the game and just sat there for 15 minutes watching them smash their ship against the rocks. Maybe they're just really bad captains. No, I'm... I'm... <laughs> going, going back to, like, 40k competitive, um, I think it's one of the reasons I enjoy, like, our wacky narrative crazy stuff we do more than most actual 40k games I play. Because since we know, know going in that it is wildly imbalanced and we're sort of flying by the seat of our pants, there's less concern on either side about winning at all costs. And it's easier to play the game and enjoy the narrative of the game. Uh, and, yeah, I still try to win, but, like... So, um, I, I, I agree. Uh, first, I take slight offense, or, or rather, would change your win-at-all-costs. I, I think very few people are win-at-all-costs. Um, I, I like to win. Um, I do take enjoyment from winning. I do not take exclusive enjoyment from winning. And I, and I definitely don't like to win at all costs. Um, but there, there is, there is, there is fun in the narrative, in the just, ah, fuck it, whatever. There's also fun in a well-executed strategy and destroying your opponent with minimal casualties. Do, you know, doing, doing that, that super clean, perfect game, there, there is enjoyment in that too. If, if your opponent's not having fun, that, Unit in that sort of situation that does detract from that, but I think denying its existence. But I mean, the fact is, you're actually you, you talked about two things just in this lesson. You talked about ahead of time deciding what exactly your fun was going to be, and and then considering the fun of the other player. And I think any time you do that, you're already in the right place, right? As a GM, I would always say that I'm not a big fan of denialism, and when I get called out for it, I fix it. So here's the thing, though, like like. You're right. I totally agree. Like, if a player, if, if one player is using the rules to abuse another player, the correct thing is, okay, is that, is, are you okay with what's going on? And then you go to that player and you say, look, you're, what you're doing is making someone else not have fun. Maybe your creative agenda is different than the rest of the people at this table. Why are you doing this? Attempt to understand it. And then you can politely suggest that perhaps another game would be a better choice for them. If if they no, it's possible they're just not getting something from the game that they want to get. It seems like so much of this comes back to actually um, the role of empathy with your opponent or your your fellow players' emotional state and how much enjoyment a person is able of getting when the other person is in distress. I know very very few people who do not have any empathy for their you know for their opponent. But there's a huge variability in the sensitivity to what is the other person, what is a person's emotional responsibility to themselves when they come into a game? So to what extent are you responsible for, for stealing yourself going into a game? And um, to what extent are you responsible for the other person's feelings? Um, Wait, and, so those are two different axes. Yes. And for someone like like me, 
I can't enjoy a game if a person is looks like they're in any distress at all, but to the the point of detriment. Like it's ridiculous to play a game, and that's part of the reason I don't play Warhammer much. Is that like I can't? <laughs> she wins too often. Just cruel. <laughs> uh, but then I definitely run into players who just have like no, 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 no care at all. And I know that there's some, you are not, you can't be responsible for other people's emotional states. You can't. But you, I do think there is some responsibility for coming together beforehand and saying, what are my expectations for when I'm interacting? You know, like, what are we going to do here? Am I going to, are we going to go all out in this? Is, do you still want to play the game with me if I'm going to be ruthless? And for some people, that's going to be an absolute yes. And some people, it's just, no. But it, it just, it seems very much a, uh, emotional sensitivity question and it's an, inform- it's an informed consent situation. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to yeah. get at. It's um, like if you know what you're getting, if everyone understands what they're getting themselves into. But the problem is you can't in a tournament. No, in a tournament. Well, in a, no, in you, you the, totally can. By showing up at a tournament, that is, in, that is consent. Right. No, so what I'm saying is you can't individually oh, go to right. people and meet yeah. up. Right. right. So in a competitive setting, like the the magic thing, my instinct actually is knowing magic players that you do not enter the, with the extent of some extreme dickery, like extreme dickery, you don't sign up for that kind of game without understanding that part of the gameplay is, is that kind of manipulating the matter to win. Yes. And I don't know how I feel about the concession thing. My instinct is I don't like it, but allow it. But. I do think that by entering into a magic tournament, there is implied consent of it is going, it, this may not be fun for me all the time mm-hmm. because you are a dick in magic. That is just part of the fun of being in magic. And you put yourself into an emotional state going in, expecting to, even if you're sensitive in other games, it's a different environment. Yeah, you know that somebody could just sit on you basically for, yeah. for, for half an hour, you know. If they happen to bring, I I came in second in a ages ago in a, in a fairly competitive magic tournament. I brought a green weenie deck with a Lurgoyf, and I had long battles and crushed some people and barely squeaked by others, and then got to the finals and played a blue white control deck and couldn't play any spells for two straight games. And the issue, and it was not fun. Yeah. But I knew what I was getting myself into. And the issue you might have made contributed some not fun to other people with the like. Beating him in the face over and over again. So how how come everyone just doesn't play blue control decks? Because not everyone gets off on that. Yeah. Well, but it, if like there is a guy or if there there is someone that was playing Magic or like, especially at a tournament, why doesn't just everyone show up at with blue blue control decks and then just laugh it as no one does anything? My understanding of blue control is that it does have some hard counters. There are some cards that just say mm-hmm. you can't counter this. There are some cards that allow you to get around these counters. Like, say, a, uh, a, a white-blue uh, control deck says, Ha, huh, I counter your powerful creature, and you're playing a black deck, and you're like, Okay, well, you've sent my powerful creature to the graveyard. Sucks to be you. I'm going to just bring it back. So that actually brings up an entirely different kind of metagaming, which is in card games and 40k tournaments, too, actually. 
is knowing what lists are popular and then bringing lists that are specifically designed to counter those lists. Which is totally thing you should just do. Well, that yes. wouldn't even be good in a regular meta Maybe. if you didn't know what lists. That doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> um, That's just playing the meta. It's you know, I mean, I don't think it's wrong. I don't necessarily necessarily think it's something you should do. Well, I mean, the thing is, you want to win. Every time I play someone, uh, I. Uh, I like to look at people who uh, play games of Warhammer and see what models they own and strategies they like. And I informally do something along the lines of guess the exact army list that someone's going to bring and then tailor a list to that. And uh, that attempt is similar to... Informally. <laughs> there may be some charts and there's some, maybe some graphs. This involves like, sneaking Just into their like... house and going through their Warhammer case. Uh, it may re- require some minor mind reading, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is I am still list tailoring. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I I don't think that's necessarily as bad as some of the things that are out there, but that may be because I'm doing it. <laughs> I don't have a problem with this. Yeah, the, the reason I brought this up is you were talking about, well, why why doesn't everyone just play right. a blue deck if a blue deck is the best? Well, because in a random setting, the blue deck is the best. But if everyone's got a blue deck and you bring the one deck that beats that, then suddenly you've got the best deck because you beat everything. And then next week, everyone's bringing the beats the blue deck deck. If, if the thing isn't too unbalanced, the meta is self-balancing. Yeah. Well, and then what just happens- from what I've heard, is the, the blue control decks just seem to be overwhelmingly better than anything else. It's optimal phenotype equilibrium. I actually, I actually think that they're not overwhelmingly better than everyone. I think blue-white control is a very strong mechanic that makes people... Have, that gives people a very strong negative impact, which is why lay people like us mm. are aware of it. Bias. I see. We yeah. hear okay. more about it because it's more upsetting to have it happen to them. Yeah. I, mean, I can definitely understand. Uh, the, the thing that, that ruins my fun fastest in a game is, and this, this extends both to video games and everything else, is being unable to do anything. Yep. Well, and that's, that's usually what, if blue works right, it locks you down, and then you can't do anything until it kills you. Other games, even if, you know, we're both playing weenies, and every game I play against Will, he just, like, slaughters me. I'm at least hitting him some, and I'm killing some of his monsters, and I don't feel completely useless. On the other hand, if White just says, oh, put that monster back in your hand. Oh, I counter it this time when you cast it. Now put that other monster back in your hand. And every time I do something, it just doesn't happen. I'm so glad I don't play Magic. Um, <laughs> yeah, so glad I don't play competitive it's, Magic anymore either. It's very fun in a uh, non-competitive setting like Commander. Yeah. I mm-hmm. love that. The because only, it was so The fun. only time I've ever played a, a Denial deck, it was a ridiculous red-black land destruction deck that was ridiculous and almost never won. Don't be that guy. fun when it did. You hurt people for no advantage. <laughs> I once made a man of the most ridiculous stuff in it. Dana, was... I'm not mad at you, but I'm disappointed. Do, do you remember when this Man of Burn was in high school. Thing? Yeah, I know. I know it was. Man of Burn used to be if you tap land for more mana than you could spend, uh, you took damage for any mana you didn't spend. Yeah. And so it's like bank penalties for drawing out too much money. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. So back in the day, I built a deck that used all sorts of things to make it so whenever you generated mana, you generated lots of mana. I bet you said I saw that with the the, uh, the mana flares and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, and so this was usually pretty fun to play against because suddenly you could be casting your big ass spells really early. And yeah, you'd take a couple points of damage if you didn't have a fireball or something because you know 
every land you tapped gave you three mana and you only needed seven. So you spent the seven and took the two so you could hit me in the face really hard. But uh, it was a dumb deck. It didn't work very well. But when it did, it was entertaining. And when it didn't, it was entertaining. (laughs) And then they took mana burn away. I don't quite understand why that would be so entertaining. It just sounds like a high mana deck. It it bigifies both you and your opponent because Mana Burn says, uh, or not Mana Burn, uh, Mana, uh, Mana Flare says everyone gets this benefit. Yeah. So you're just playing a bigger game of magic. I see. That, okay, that's what With I was missing. Rounding errors not in your favor. Rounding errors <laughs> <laughs> punching you in the face. Yeah, yeah that's, that's um, what I was missing. That's the, actually fun, actually. The, the hope was that the rounding errors would hurt you more than it hurt me. Because you had ways of sinking. Because I had lots of pumps. So I'd be like, oh, well, I'll just make this dragon bigger for a turn by two. Mm-hmm. Instead of taking the two points of mana. Yeah, I love doing that. I had a commander deck that did that too. Um, oh, it's so fun. So that, that that actually made me a little sad when they got rid of mana burn. So why did you have to spend mana to t- or take mana burn? Wouldn't well, it be leftover mana? Well, or mana, rather, spent mana over the thing. Like why so would... when you go to your attack step, if you have any unspent mana, yeah, it hurts you, and then goes away. Oh, or it used to. Now it just goes away. Interesting. Um, does anyone else want to add anything to this? I think we've beaten it pretty much to death. Get that social contract done. Yeah, people just know what they are doing. Time and like, just again, I always say, just because the rules say you can doesn't mean you should. Just because the rules don't say you can't definitely doesn't mean you should. And if you don't know what the social contract is going in, ask someone. Yeah, that's not a bad advice. Like, I feel like a lot of stuff, especially like if you're like the thing I could see it being a problem for tournaments is if you been playing in other situations or you've only ever played in a casual thing so you don't expect certain things. So if it's a new scenario, ask what's expected. Nothing wrong with playing in the kiddie pool. More ask like, hey, is this bad? Is what? this bad? And if you're what's in the, the middle of... You're saying non-competitive play is a kiddie pool? I like playing in the kiddie pool. It, it, it doesn't have to be a kiddie pool. You like... can just be like regular games. He loves his floaties. I do. I love well, my floaties. Sometimes well, well... I give my floaties to my opponents too because they don't have enough floaties. <laughs> I'm like, hey, hey, opponent, let's play in the kiddie pool together. And they're like, nah. And I'm like, too bad. Here's the <laughs> If you're in the middle of a game and you're thinking about doing something and you're not sure whether it's okay, I tell the people who work in my in my group at work, the, the people who come to me for coding advice, tell them if you have to ask, the answer is no. <laughs> Behave yourself. This podcast is fully copyrighted by its hosts. Visit us at podcastmagicmissile.com. I Podcast Magic Missile, attacking the darkness since 2012.